the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday show. We made it through another week, or at least we're only an hour away from making it through another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to answering your questions about the Bible, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything. All you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and everything else will be hands-free. You'll be safe and connected directly to our studio producer. We have a lot going on this weekend. Tonight, I get to teach about two of the most interesting characters in all of our Bibles. Revelation chapter 11, the two witnesses who will appear uh, at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, and they will uh, be witnesses um, until the, the midpoint of the Great Tribulation. Then they will be overcome. Then they're raised to life. I mean, this is a great, great story. So that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, you can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. Neat study. I, I enjoy this kind of study. And then on Sunday, it's Communion Sunday here. I know it's Communion Sunday in a lot of your churches, the first Sunday of the month. And that's always a neat thing. So remember, when you go to church, you're going to meet with Jesus. So to prepare yourself, go to church having prepared your heart, asking God how he wants to use you on this day, and be one who looks for the opportunity to minister to others instead of being ministered to. And Jesus will take care of you while you are a blessing to him for taking care of others. Well, let's go to questions that have been sent in while we await any phone calls that are going to happen today. Uh, the first one is from Richard from our email inbox. And he asks, uh, Hi, Pastor Ron, when sin entered the world, what is the curse of a man and what is the curse of a woman? Uh, they're very straightforward. They were given to us Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Beginning in verse 16, Richard, he said to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Now, the repeated emphasis there, I think, is important. Now, I'm speaking from a male perspective, but it appears to me that uh, prior to the fall, that childbirth was to be relatively simple, easy, and painless. Now, I know a whole lot of women out there saying amen to that, but but you see, part of the fall is that there would be um, a, a great increase in pains in childbearing, and anybody who's been with their wife or with a woman who is in labor understands that kind of pain. You know, one of the things, and I have no way of knowing this, nor do you, but, but you know, I wonder if it changed the, the period of gestation. Uh, maybe it was supposed to be something that was quicker and easier. Who knows? Uh, but uh, the first curse 
was the pain in childbirth. The second to the woman, the rest of verse 16 says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Uh, that word desire, it, that sounds like a good thing. Uh, it sounds like, well, your desire is going to be to your husband. He's going to love you and everything's going to be perfect. And, and he will be the head over you and you'll be happy with that. It's just the opposite. This same Hebrew word for desire shows up in the next chapter. when, And it's the only two places in the in the Old Testament it's there. But it shows up and it says uh, of of sin, God warning Cain, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to own you. So own and desire are the same here. So what this is saying, Richard, is that the woman's curse includes a desire to rule her husband, to be over her husband, to be under, uh, to have the husband under authority. But here's the rule. The rule is that he is going to, to rule over you. And, and uh, male headship in the home has been God's plan from the very beginning. So that's a pretty heavy curse. Uh, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. We get no end of flack for that verse being in the Bible. But sometimes we have to remember, we didn't write that. So here's what we have to do. We've got to decide what is the answer for a curse. And the answer is to die. Jesus reversed the curse on all mankind. By dying, he reversed the curse. Well, in exactly the same way, a woman who wants to rule over her husband, and that's just the sort of the natural tension that 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 resides in our world, um, she's got to die to herself. She's got to die to herself, and that takes great faith. It takes trust in Jesus Christ, and uh, and then the fullness of life that comes from being obedient will be yours. So, Richard, that's the woman's curse, uh, pain and childbearing, and having to submit to her husband uh, in a marriage. It is a curse. It's not fun. Nobody likes it. Our flesh hates it. Uh, Verse 17, God speaks to Adam. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And then the next verse, verse 19, says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So the the, 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 the ground, we can't even begin to imagine what the Garden of Eden was like. But it just produced food. It produced everything that you needed. It was was uh, th- there were no weeds, there were no thorns. There was, it was just a paradise, and because of the curse, the ground was cursed, and all of these things uh, were, were resulted. Um, hard work. God intends for men to work. Uh, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be endless. It never stops, and. Um, Unless you're willing to work hard. So how long do we have to work hard? He said, until you die, Adam. So those are the two curses, Richard, uh, as a result of sin in the world. Genesis 3, starting at verse 14. Thanks for the question. I like that one. 340-9585 on this Friday. Here is a question um, anonymously from our email inbox. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. I've been doing ministry for five years. But lately, my wife has been giving me trouble about doing ministry. She supported me in the beginning, but now she's saying I'm doing too much ministry and not enough family time. I'm only doing ministry about four hours a week, and she does not want to be a part of it. Can I still continue even though she does not support it? Uh, Anonymous, these are really, really hard things. I have very little information uh, in your question. And uh, without details, this is very hard, so I'm going to have to be very, very general. Specifically, I think that people who are in ministry, you don't even describe what kind of ministry you're doing, but typically when ministry is getting in the way of a marriage, it's time to step away from that ministry and focus on the relationship at home. You don't want your wife to grow bitter. You don't want your wife to to become hard-hearted. 
Um, certainly four hours a week is literally nothing. And I think this is time for the two of you to sit down with uh, your pastor or one of your pastors and ask the question uh, or, or, or tell them the question uh, or the problem and let, let the question be asked and answered. You used to support him. Why not now? And I would ask her and I would say, look, I want you to be happy, but, but why aren't you no longer in support of what I'm doing? Why do you not want to be a part of the ministry? And I think here's a time where you've got to be really open and, and willing to hear hard things. Maybe your wife feels like you're being nicer to other people than you are to her, that you're spending more of your time and energy on them than you are for her. If that's the case, then you need to repent and ask her for her forgiveness. On the other hand, without knowing the facts, maybe this is just one of those things where she's fallen away from Jesus herself. Her relationship with the Lord has grown a little bit cold. And, and in that case, it's even more important because what you need to do is renew the relationship that you had in Christ. You know, a lot of times serving the God, serving the Lord seems like a, a wonderful thing and families get excited about it. But when somebody's relationship in that marriage sort of cools off, their relationship in Christ, to Christ, um, then they, they grow to resent it. And I think it's time to sit down and, and ask the questions and get the answers. And I think it's so important that this is a, an opportunity for the two of you to go sit down with one of your pastors and and uh, get some counseling. Get some counseling. I don't want ministry here. And I, I've got to, to, to sort of personalize this. You know, at, at our church, we have a... Uh, I tell people, point blank, um, we have three services. Everybody ought to be here for at least two. And, and, and most people who say they're committed to Christ ought to be here all three services. One service they're teaching, one service they're serving, the next service they're serving or they're in prayer ministry or they're doing something else. It's an opportunity to really be used by the Lord. And, you know, we're here from about um, our first service is at 830. Our third service gets over about 130. Um, that's not much time. So it's time for you to sit down with your wife and ask the questions. And again, I, I, I strongly suggest that you do some pastoral counseling to find out why she doesn't want to be a part of it. Again, I want to emphasize this. Be willing to hear something that hurts your feelings. Maybe you're not giving her as much time and attention. And if that's the case, um, repent. Fall in love with your wife again. Let her fall in love with you again. But remember, both of you stay with Jesus. One other thought, and then I'll move on. It's really important that you are spending time with your wife in the Word together and in prayer together. Every day. As often as every day allows. But it's something that you got to schedule. And I would... I'm assuming this. I'm assuming that your time in the Word has diminished or, or maybe is even non-existent. And your time praying together has fallen off if you ever did that. But it's something that you've got to do. I don't know a godly woman who doesn't want a man to pray with her and be in the Word with her. So that's the best I can do with the information that you have. Anonymous, God knows who you are. I will be praying for you. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Cibolo, Texas, and talk with Matthew on line one. Matthew, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I was actually listening to you and Mama Paula yesterday, and uh, and I was taking some notes down. But uh, I was uh, wanted to know a little bit more if you can expound on the you know work at being thankful. I put a uh, purpose, uh, your words and actions on my notes, and mm. um, I was I was going to ask you, what does that look like? As far as, because we're having that conversation during Thanksgiving, and, you know, I was having some uh, family conversations, and I was like, you know, to be thankful, we got to we gotta show our generosity, we got to put our, our thankfulness to work. And so I was going to see if you can kind of just give me some more insight on that. I appreciate yeah, that. I can. Love you. Thank you, Matthew. I can do that, and I appreciate the opportunity to do it. One thing I want to be clear to everybody who's listening, uh, being thankful or being grateful 
doesn't mean that you fake it. It doesn't mean that you can't acknowledge you're going through difficult things. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes we, we get carried away to extremes. Um, okay, I got to be more grateful. Praise the Lord kind of thing. And, and we Christians, you know, we have a tendency to speak Christianese and it, and it can appear or come off as very, being very insincere. I think what being grateful for is as simple as understanding that without a grateful heart, your prayers aren't going to be heard. Without a grateful heart, you're denying the work that God did just for you. With thanksgiving, make your request known to God, the Apostle Paul writes. So with all of that, thanksgiving is a, is a genuine expression of the heart for everything that God has done. And I think, Matthew, our problem from, from the perspective of earth is that we, we look at our circumstances and we let our circumstances dictate uh, how we respond in this world. If we're going through something really hard, it seems a little disingenuous, I think, for 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 a lot of people to to say, oh, God, thank you. But but remember, there's so much that we can be thankful for. Paula, on yesterday's program, was going over just some of them, and she had a really, really long list of things. And I think we have a tendency, if we have enough money, we're, we're fine. If our health is good, we're fine. If everything is going the way we want it to go, we're fine. But I think in the middle of difficulties, we forget. You know, Matthew, we have uh, some people, and I'm praying for them every day, um, uh, one of my elders, as an example, Jory, I miss him so much. I miss him so much. Uh, I can talk to him. I can call him or he can call me. But I just miss his face. I miss being around. And I can promise you, Jory's going through some some uh, very serious medical issues. Um, I can promise you his heart and Lisa's heart, his wife, are full of joy and full of thanksgiving to the Lord. Now, they're frustrated because they want to be here and they want to be serving and they, they, they want to be around their church family and they want to be serving the Lord. But, but you know, I'm, I'm also sure they're praying. I'm sure they're in the Word together. Um, they're thankful in spite of a serious medical diagnosis. They're not denying the illness. They're simply thankful that God is present with them, that God will sustain them through it, that he has a, an endless source of strength that they can draw on. So that's just one example, Matthew. And um, we need to, to be able to say, God, thank you. The, uh, the, the Apostle Paul tells us to give thanks in everything. Unfortunately, Matthew, he doesn't say give thanks for everything. I don't give thanks for the flu. I don't give thanks for COVID. I don't give thanks uh, because I don't have enough money or because something's gone wrong. I don't. But but in those terrible things, I need to work really hard at giving thanks. Now, let me hit really hard, Matthew. This isn't directed at you. This is just directed at the people in our audience. You know, when we hear somebody who complains about their health, we have a tendency to say, oh, yeah, I have this problem and that problem. It's almost like we're trying to play, can you top this with our symptoms? Instead of saying, oh God, thank you. You have given me health and you've given me strength to be able to serve you. You know, Matthew, I'm 70 years old. Uh, I'm in good condition physically. Um, and and I'm, I'm able to say thank you to God every day when I pray for our health, mine and Paula's, or I pray for other people in the body who are hurting. I'm able to say, thank you, Lord, that even at 70, you give me the energy to keep doing what I'm doing. I haven't even thought about slowing down yet. Um, that's God at work, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. I don't want to lock myself in my house and just sort of shrivel away. I want to die burning for Jesus. And, um, you know, Matthew, I'm grateful that as of now, I have that strength now, let's assume for a moment that that strength was taken away. I got sick or something. Then I could be thankful that the Lord is with me. I can be thankful for Pastor Ken and the other men in our body that he's raised up to take the baton from me and, and finish the, the, the race. And they'll finish it, I'm sure, better than I ever could. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the fact that, that I have family I can't imagine. I, I, before I was saved, I never could imagine the family that we have here at Calvary Chapel. People that I love with all of my heart and I pray for, but but here's the, the miraculous thing. The people that love me. 
And so I have to work hard to remember those things when somebody breaks my heart or when we get terrible news or when we get a series of, of uh, terrible news events going on in our lives. We, we, we have to remember all the things that we're grateful for. So when I said yesterday, it has to be purposeful. I said that because it's not natural or instinctive for any of us. We're the yeah, but people. Yeah, I'm thankful, but. And then we start listing our complaints. And one of the ways, and Matthew, this is for everybody out there. One of the ways that you can sort of determine how you're doing is is record your prayers. We've got recording devices we carry around with us now. Record your prayers. Now, don't change the way you pray because it's being recorded. Just just hit record and and then forget it's there and pray the way you always pray. And listen to your prayers. If your prayer time is spent mostly on you, well, then you've got a problem with being thankful to the Lord. If your prayer life is spent on other people, well, then you sort of get it. Those are the kind of things that we can do to be very purposeful, very intentional about, okay, I'm going to work on being really thankful. For me, Matthew, this is my last comment. I want people to see me as somebody who's really grateful to God. I want them to see that I love Him. I, I want to bring Him honor and glory. I don't want people seeing me complaining. And I'm naturally a complainer. I'm naturally a cynical person. So I spend a whole bunch of time battling or taking captive the thoughts that come into my mind. Some of them come in naturally because that's who I am apart from being um, uh, full, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Some of them I know come from an enemy. And so I work really hard at keeping my mouth shut. My grandma used to tell me, Ronnie, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. I heard that my entire life growing up. Turns out that was really good advice. And when I can't say anything at all, I haven't won anything. All I have to do is say, Jesus, why is my heart not overflowing with gratitude? So, Matthew, thank you for the question. I really appreciate the opportunity to share on that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is another anonymous call or anonymous letter from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, I have a family member who has proclaimed Christianity but is always battling depression, anxiety, and mood swings. I kindly told her that if she's claiming to be reborn, that God has taken that away. She believes that addiction and sin can be taken away, but not mental disorders. I told her that God can take away anything. My family jumped on me saying that I should not bring religion into it. I respond with saying that she's going through a spiritual battle and the only one that can take it away is Jesus and not antidepressants or pills. Am I wrong? And then he in parentheses, he writes, I did say everything in love. Uh, You know, I I think we have to be really, really careful. There are people that are genuinely... Um, um, uh, who genuinely battle depression, clinical depression. There are people who do need antidepressants. There are people with uh, uh, some mental disorders um, uh, who, who who need lithium and some other uh, things. I mean, it, it's it's a physical condition, not just a mental. It's, it's manifest mentally, but it's a physical condition, and the medication can do that. And I've said this on this program before. Anybody who needs, in order to serve God consistently, anybody who needs to take meds needs to be on those meds. It's that simple. Our job is to honor Jesus Christ with our lives. Having said that, and I want you to to, to hear this really closely, uh, much of what you say is true. The Bible says, in his presence, in Jesus' presence, is the fullness of joy. That's the... The best battle for depression and anxiety and mood swings that I can recommend. And the people who say this are people who genuinely don't believe or take the word of God literally. So I think as long as you've spoken in love, uh, as long as you, you, uh, you, you, the, your uh, family member knows that you are a lover, lover and being kind to her, then um, um, I think you gave good advice. Uh, I always look for these things to be uh, spiritual rather than mental or even emotional. Um, The truth is, when your family jumped on you, it's honestly because they don't believe the Word of God. 
So I, I'm, I don't like people being on pills unless they absolutely have to, unless there are physical reasons. And most of the time, and this is my experience more than 26 years as a pastor, is I found that people who battle depression and anxiety and these mood swings, these who are highly emotional people, uh, aren't really walking in the presence of the Lord. They're just not. They, they, they might be believers. In this case, she says she is. There's no reason to disbelieve her. But at the same time, um, the question is, do you want to get well? You remember at the Pool of Bethesda, Jesus walked to the one man who'd been paralytic for 38 years and asked him the question, do you want to be well? Truth is, there's a lot of people that don't want to be well. There's people that like being the victim. They like the attention that they're getting. It gives them excuses for remaining depressed and anxious and and for, for these emotional mood swings. So your counsel, I think, is right. Um, but you need to really make sure that your family member knows that your counsel is born from love. Thanks for the question. These are always difficult questions, but these are primarily spiritual battles. We've got 30 minutes left in the week. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program. I'm being reminded of something. Church tonight. Church tonight. I said that at 7 o'clock, we are going to study the two interesting witnesses in the book of Revelation. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from our email inbox from Alec. Alex, the serpent in Genesis three is portrayed as a real animal. He was punished in a later verse. Where is the enemy in this story of the fall, and what was his role? I don't think he possessed the serpent. I think you're wrong, Alex. We're told in the book of Revelation that serpent, that ancient serpent, the devil. And so he's clearly identified for us uh, in the book of Revelation. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, here's, here's what's going on. Um, demon, uh, demons, they, they want to be inhabit a physical presence, a physical body. And uh, I believe that the, the devil entered into the serpent... Um, but I think because I know the devil, uh, the serpent, later the punishment that you referred to is that he's, he's going he's gonna to be on his belly. That's how he's going to, to move around. Uh, I think the serpent was the most beautiful of all of the creatures. Um, uh, Satan picked him. Satan wanted him. I, I also think he was upright. You know, we look at a snake and we see the snaky tongue and we see him sniff, uh, on the ground. Um, I don't believe that's what the the serpent was like before the fall. I think knowing the devil's ego, I think he picked the most beautiful of all the creatures to enter, and he did that. I think that's why it was easy for uh, him to approach Eve and tempt her. But um, he, the enemy is literally in the serpent, uh, and we know that, I think it's Revelation 12, but I, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I'll try to look it up a little bit later, Alex. But um, the serpent was just the host for Satan. And, of course, he's the one. Did God really say? It's interesting that that's what the devil's been saying from the, the moment of creation. Did God really say? You know, when we're going through something and we say, well, God said I could trust him. Did God really say? Well, God sent me here to San Antonio. Did God really say? I can't tell you, Alex, how many times the devil said that to me after we got here, and it didn't look like it was a smart decision. But but uh, certainly, he was um, in control of the serpent. Good question. Thanks very, very much. 
Here is a question from Paul. Um, Pastor Ron, can you have a general discussion on contemporary worship, please? Um, Paul, you know what? I'm really not the best person in the world to have a, a general discussion on contemporary worship. I'm not much of a, a music person. I have wonderful music people here at the church. And um, um, if your discussion is about styles, um, I think we've got to leave a lot of room for styles. You know, I remember we did some Joy of Jesus is where uh, Jocelyn, who is on our worship team, um, she did a show. And we got these huge crowds and people got saved. So she was doing pop music that she used to do before she started singing for Jesus. Uh, we had uh, our, our youth pastor for 10 years. I loved him. He just he and his wife just went to uh, uh, Washington State to plant a church. And, and I wish they'd never gone. But he and his wife, Michi, were both rap stars. I mean, recorded artists. And so we had them do some stuff at Joy of Jesus. Now, while I'm not crazy about the styles, what really was important to me was the heart of the people doing the worship. And um, so, again, contemporary, old style, uh, I, I think that's a matter of taste. But here's what I think, Paul. I think we can all worship God no matter the style. If our heart is right, we can all worship the Lord um, regardless of the style of worship. Let me say one other thing, and then I'll kind of move on. When we're at we're doing worship, uh, what's the most important is the heart of the people who are who are worshiping. Whether it's a band that's worshiping, leading worship, or you who's worshiping along, you got to make sure your heart is right. And that's the the only thing that matters to God. He said He wants a, um, um, people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And when we can do that, I think, uh, Paul, um, then then God's face is lit up, his arms are open, and tears of joy are fall, flowing down his face. Thank you for that. Let's go to Glenn on line one from San Antonio. Glenn, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes. Good, good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Uh, thanks, Glenn. I, I want to. Uh, uh, I uh, am in a Bible study on Wednesday mornings of Zoom with like 12 guys and uh, all born-again believers, and, and we're studying the book of John verse by verse and just enjoying it tremendously and really uh, getting a lot out of it. The, 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 the leader or the facilitator of the group is a good friend, goes way back um, 20, 25 years ago while he was here in San Antonio. He's on staff at um, – uh, what used to be a Church of Christ here in San Antonio. And then he moved on, him and his family, into Richita, Kansas, and became a pastor out there. And uh, anyways, he's retired from pastoring, but he uh, is in a, uh, councils and, and what, have, uh, what have you. He got a, f- a phone call from a, uh, from a roommate back in college, and uh, uh they attend a Church of Christ out in Arizona, and they reached out to him, and, he, the, uh, and after they had talked to uh, elders and folks in that church that had been, has been really dwindling in size and just really uh, uh, struggling, and knowing him, the, uh, the college uh, roommates, they reached out to him if he'd be interested in coming out to ha- and, and facilitating like a town hall type to just sort of help them see where they're at and, you know, everything based on biblical principle. And uh, what happened was everybody was concurring to that. And then one person, uh, and I don't know that individual that much detail, but apparently maybe an influential person in that church in Arizona went on line and found his LinkedIn and whatever uh, uh, profile and realized that uh, the Church of Christ that he attended or was on staff in San Antonio took off the Church of Christ moniker and and uh, it just became a non-denominational church. So I'm sorry for the wrong narrative, but here's the point. And, w- and when that individual voiced his concern, said, well, hey, he, he's uh, that's not an individual we want coming here. 
to give us or, or you know, to facilitate a conversation. He's not a real Christian. And and he had enough clout to where the the church uh, counsel, uh, canceled the trip for this gentleman. Just and you know, said, well, you know, on second thought, we we don't, you know, we we can't do this. So <laughs> my questions are, I'd appreciate your thoughts. Is the leadership of that church knowing and recognizing they needed a revival, they need some council or town hall to where they could discuss things around the Bible, all biblical, and what steps of what they could be doing to try to. Uh, uh, you know, present the gospel to people in their community and that for that church to get reinvigorated, who, who, I mean, who should have stepped up? Uh, <laughs> elders or, you know, the pastor somewhere, something there that I just don't, you know, and I'd just be interested in your thoughts on that. Thank you, Glenn. I'll do that. I appreciate you calling. A couple of things. One, uh, let me let me just say, not to offend anybody, but churches of Christ have a lot of doctrinal problems. Lots and lots of doctrinal problems. There is a, a an orthodox, and by that I mean a really Christian wing of the Church of Christ, um, and they're really saved. They're they're wrong doctrine about a lot of things. But they're really believers. But there is a lot and a growing number of Church of Christ that have crossed that line over into cultism. And and without knowing which is the case um, uh, in this instance, uh, you know, it would be hard to, to give any direct information. Uh, on the other hand, um, um, this sounds like something that goes on in a lot of churches that remain small. There is somebody like you pointed out is influential. Usually, they are the biggest givers in the church, or or people that, that nobody wants to offend them because they say, "Well, if this happens, I'm going to stop giving," uh, and and they just make the wrong decisions. Uh, Glenn, any church that doesn't have a pastor in control who's charting the course of the church is a church that's going to get thrown off. You cannot govern by congregational vote. You can't govern trying to, to keep people happy in the church because they're influential or because they're wealthy. Uh, they've been supporting the church. This is just a matter of, of God, what do you want to do with this church? And I think um, um, your friend probably is lucky that he was called away or that they canceled uh, because he'd be getting into a hornet's nest and it's just difficulty. But, but, but given the circumstances, as you explained them, I think um, the pastor should have stepped up. And unfortunately, in a lot of denominations, the pastor is afraid to step up because he will cross some people who will then um, make sure that they don't have a job. It's that simple. Um, certainly, the spirit's not leading in the church. Um, obviously, again, I'm going to repeat, churches of Christ um, there's so many issues, uh, doctrinal issues. Um, they tend toward legalism. Uh, they are, by definition, um, churches that believe that you must be baptized in order to be saved. And um, there's just a lot of things that, that uh, they've got issues with. And I, I think, I think, unfortunately, sometimes there's just churches that have a a spirit that says, no, we don't want to get bigger. We don't want to invite anybody in. They like to keep their position of control that they're in. And that seems to be what's going on. I feel bad for your friend. Arizona is a wonderful place to be. I'd love to be able to minister in Arizona. Glenn, it's just, um, it's just, you've, uh, wasn't the right call. Maybe it's God who is protecting your friend, but the church, you're right. The church is, is, uh, they're going to stay small. They're going to get smaller. Uh, they're going to lose their joy, and uh, or if they have it, if they haven't already lost their joy, and there's not going to be any fruit coming from the church. That's just the way it is. You know, the church has to reach out, and one of the things churches of Christ generally do not do. Now the cults do it, but the 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 fundamentally correct churches of Christ. By those by that I mean those who are are real Christian churches. Um. They simply don't emphasize evangelism, sharing your faith. Um, you know, they want to come to church, check off the box, and go home and live their life. And unfortunately, then, that's just not a recipe for a spirit-filled church. 
Thank you, Glenn. I'm sorry for your friend. Let's go to Ray, who's been holding on line two. Ray, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, Hi, Ray. Going back to your beginning of this program, uh, talking about the animals and then dispersed through it, I've been thinking about this, wondering for a while, and since it kept coming up, it's kind of, I've, I've decided to give it a try and call, and I've kind of lost part of the train of thought there, but uh, going back to the animals, I mean, there was God and, and Adam cruising through the garden, right? Yes. And and then at some point, and that's kind of what I'm wondering is when the when the animals were were made, and and later Adam I think was naming them, and mm-hmm. then it dawned on him, well, a man alone is not good, and so on and so forth. I just wondered about. The, the chronology of stuff going on there, um, and uh, Eve came along, we know. <clears throat> Adam was out of the dirt. Eve was from a rib, but uh, what what about the animals? I mean, were there, we know there were birds and fish and uh, regular animals, uh, now we've got amphibians. I just wondered how, how much can we glean from the Bible as far as what actually was happening? <laughs> you know, how many animals were there? I mean, <laughs> and there I were a lot of animals. It makes any sense, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, it does, Ray. Thank you. I appreciate it very, very much. A couple of things. The animals were created, I'm certain. Uh, they don't have souls. Um, it, it's not, they weren't created in the image of God. Only man was created in the image of God and they were created before man was. Man was created on the sixth day and then God rested. And, and, um, um, the animals that were created were created, um, ex nihilo from nothing or out of nothing. And they were created as a gift for mankind. Uh, God gave Adam dominion over the animals, and and uh, that's why he named them. That's that's assuming a position of control over the animals, and in a in a world that hadn't been cursed, um, uh, it, it would have been wonderful. Imagine, uh, 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 and there were dinosaurs. So let's just say this huge dinosaur. We look at T Rexes or or other kinds of dinosaurs, and we think we think, oh, they were scary. But imagine at the beginning they weren't. Adam could have just called them. Eve could have just called them and they'd come running and the race would have been great. So so God used them. He gave them as a gift for man to have dominion over and sin ruined all of that. There were no meat eaters at the beginning. It's the way it will be at the end as well in the millennial reign. Um, the animals won't eat one another. They'll, they'll again be fed by the, by the vegetation on earth. Um, but it's just one of those things where where sin ruined everything, and uh, we're still paying for it um, all these thousands of years later. So, if that was your question, Ray, thank you for it. I hope I hope I answered it. Here is a question from Diane from our email inbox. Uh, she says this came up in one of my sociology classes in college. Back in the day, if a girl became pregnant outside of marriage. Often she would be sent away for the duration of the pregnancy to take care of grandma, and that's in quotes. After a year she'd return, the purpose, of course, was to minimize shame and scandal. Within that context, is that being deceitful? In other words, is that lying? Yeah, it's always lying. Um, you know, in, in the world. Now, I'm old enough to remember when things like this, if a girl got pregnant, who wasn't married. I mean, it was a big deal. I, I'm old enough. I remember when a family in the neighborhood got divorced, it was almost like there was a black cloud over their head. We had a, a more profound sense of right and wrong. And then especially people that don't know Jesus, when they did what everybody agreed was wrong, there was a sense of shame. And so that's what they did. They would send the, the, the pregnant girl away 
Um, usually she'd give away the baby. Um, certainly no thought of abortion in those days, at least not on a, on a national scale. And then she would come back when she'd given the baby up for adoption and she was no longer pregnant and, and, um, uh, and, and that would be a sense of covering the, the shame. And yes, it is a lie and, um, it's being deceitful. It's the way it was. Uh, but Christians remember Diane should never lie. Um, we still have that a little bit today. You know, we have girls that are raised in church and, and they, they've known the right way as opposed to, to doing things that are wrong from the time they were very, very little. And they get pregnant and, and Christians have a tendency to look down their nose at them and say, well, I can't believe her parents let her run around. I can't believe that she got pregnant. I thought she was a good girl, those kind of things. Uh, and I think in some some instances we're we're at, at fault for f- f- putting people in a position where they feel like they need to lie. Uh, the truth is always the best. Uh, we have a young woman in our church who is one of my personal heroes. Uh, she, as a junior high and high schooler, was so on fire for the Lord. I mean, so on fire for the Lord, and and she was just. Serving God with all of her strength. Um, met a boyfriend. Um, they fell in love. Um, had sex one time. She got pregnant. And um, there are a lot of people that wanted to sort of, well, what happened to her kind of reaction. And we just stood with her and supported her and loved her. And she, you talk about stepping up big time. She said, what I did was sin. And I'm so sorry. But... Now Jesus is going to take care of me and my baby. Not only that, they got married and they've been serving the Lord ever since. She repented. That's what we're supposed to do. And shame on any of us if we're going to point fingers at somebody else who who actually gets caught because of their sin when so many of us aren't getting caught at all. So yeah, Diane, this is uh, uh, being deceitful. It's a lie. Uh, It's just the way things used to be. Thank you for the question, Diane. 340-9585. 340-9585. I don't know how much time we've got left in the program. we get about five minutes. Uh, here's a question from Anonymous. Uh, Pastor Ron, you've been talking recently about uh, how angry people are. Isn't it possible that our anger is righteous anger? Jesus got angry. Anonymous, there is a huge difference between righteous anger and just anger. Uh, Jesus got angry. He turned over the money changers' tables. Uh, uh, he was angry at the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. But you remember, his anger was directed at the religious leaders who were being hypocrites. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I don't think it's constructive for any of us to put ourselves on a level with Jesus. Just because Jesus is righteously angry, that doesn't mean that we can say, well, I'm like Jesus, I'm being righteously angry, when the truth is, we're not very righteous. And we're angry in our flesh. Now, here's why people are angry. They're angry because the enemy has got hold of them. They're angry because the world that we live in is angry. They're angry because they're feeding themselves, not from the Word of God. They're feeding themselves from the 24-hour-a-day news cycle or from the, the, the social media trash that's out there. And we're so addicted to those sources that make us angry that we can't even recognize it's best to put them away. You should see, Anonymous, the responses I've got when really angry people came and said to me, well, I just can't seem to do anything about my anger. And they're, they're, they're watching Fox News or, or if they're on the other side of the spectrum, they're watching uh, CNN or CNBC and they're watching it all the time. And they say, well, I can't understand why I'm so angry. And I look at them and say, stop putting that stuff in. Turn it off. Oh, I couldn't possibly turn it off. I need to know what's going on. And it just feeds their anger. And then remember, there is an enemy who is very angry who's going to do his absolute best to make sure that angry people get angrier because that's what he wants. He wants to ruin their witness for Christ. He wants to make sure that there's no useful fruit coming from their life. And so he piles it on. And yeah, we're angry. I was listening briefly to a radio show yesterday where they were talking about road rage. And um, 
you know, driving a car. People are shooting at each other. It's been in the news in San Antonio. They were looking for, I don't know if they've caught him, a guy who was, who was caught on a camera shooting a gun at somebody who cut him off. It's because we're angry and that anger, Anonymous, has nothing to do with righteousness. It has everything to do with the fact that we simply have turned Jesus out of our lives. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to be angry. So I hope that answers your question. But please, please, please don't think for even a moment that um, your anger can be compared to Jesus's. Last one very quickly. I listen uh, anonymously called into studio. I love your show. I've been listening since my son was in elementary school and he's now in high school. Wow, that's a long time. I moved to Canyon Lake area and still listen every day. Just wanted you to know what an encourager you are to me and my family's everyday. Oh, none of us. Thank you very, very much. Uh, to the audience, I wouldn't even have read that. I just would have thanked him for that um, uh, privately. Uh, but I just got the question up. So thank you very, very much as you called in. The studio took the time. That means an awful lot uh, to me. We've been doing this show now for almost 10 years. And um, you know what that means? It means you and I are both getting old. <laughs> We're getting old together. I appreciate it very, very much more than you could possibly know. Hey, uh, remember, this is going to be Communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel and probably at a lot of your churches as well. Um, make sure your heart is right with the Lord. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength in his presence, his fullness of joy. Being with Jesus changes everything. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. I appreciate more than you know you tuning in every day. God bless you. We'll see you on Monday. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.